as many of you guys know, our senior pastor, Jeremiah Smith, is on sabbatical for the month of July, and so be praying for him as he's away studying and learning and, and, and reviving and refreshing his spirit. Um, and so for the month, month of July, we've had some guest speakers come in, and this week, uh, you have a familiar face. We have uh, Mr. Kevin from the Children's Time. Uh, Kevin Lentz is going to come and bring us our message this morning. So, hey, would you guys welcome him this morning? Um, as Matt said, I do have the privilege I was speaking to the whole church today, but this is a very different view. I'm used to standing on the floor with my back to you. So I, I might just do that, but I don't want to mess up any more of the, the mic stuff that we've had problems with. So um, typically when we're planning for the worship service, we get a schedule of how, how long everything takes. And for the children's sermon, I usually get four minutes. So we might get out of here really early today. <laughs> Uh, so, who am I? My name is Kevin Lentz. I have been at, uh, a member of this church for 28 years. I teach kindergarten and Sunday school. I also have the blessing of being the husband of the preschool and children's director, April Lentz. I'm also going to read this because, again, I'm super nervous. Uh, but before we get started, I want to tell you that my wife and I are in a friendly competition to see which of us, uh, when we speak to the whole church, can spend the most time crying. Um, so, I know you've heard me tear up during some children's sermons. Um, I think she pulled ahead at the baby dedication, um, but I should take the lead today because uh, I'm going to be speaking about something very, very serious, and it's going to end with a really sad and tragic story, so brace yourselves. Uh, many of you have complimented me. Oh, yes. Got my Kleenex. I'm ready. Uh, many of you have complimented me on the children's sermons that I do, and uh, I appreciate that. Uh, words of affirmation lift me up, and they keep me going. Uh, one of the nicest things that uh, people have said to me is, you do a really great job of taking a complex biblical idea and boiling it down to something really simple. And I appreciate that a lot. Uh, I feel good when I can help people understand things. I think everybody can understand even the most tricky ideas in the Bible if they can be presented in a, in a simple way. So uh, today I'm going to talk about what is a very important, a very serious thing, but it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, it's read the Bible for yourself. It's right, it's right there. So, hey, look, we did it within four minutes. Thanks. Um, when I read the Bible for myself, I really enjoy stories that cover uh, lots of parts of a person's life. I like reading stories about uh, David and Joseph and Solomon and Paul. Uh, I, I like reading about how they encountered God at many different points in time. I like the, the rich picture that it gives about how they got to, go, got to know God through various stages in their life. So what I want to do is tell you my story. Um, at UBC, we've been encouraging this a lot more. Jeremiah said, hey, tell, tell people your stories. Let's talk about each other and how God has worked in our lives. So I, I want to tell you my story. I'm going to tell you a lot of things about myself and how those things connect with why I read the Bible. Uh, when I was born, that's where I'm going to start. When I was born, uh, my father was in the Air Force which was very fortunate because it meant I got to be born in Honolulu, Hawaii. And that's fortunate because that's the reaction. People go, Honolulu, Honolulu, very cool, yeah. Uh, it's also good if you're playing one of those icebreaker games and you have to tell people like an interesting fact that they don't know about you, so that's fun. Of course, I can't use that fact on any of y'all now. I'll have to find something else. Uh, I got to be born in Hawaii, but I only stayed there for 11 months, and nine of them were in utero, so I really don't remember uh, much about it which is a shame. Uh, my parents moved from Hawaii to Lubbock, Texas. We stayed there for a few years, and then we moved to Waco, where I grew up. My father worked at the Strecker Museum at Baylor University for many years. He was an exhibit designer, and he taught museum uh, school classes. He has his place secured in history at the Waco Mammoth National Monument. 
If you go and visit there, you can see his picture. And you will hear the story about how two other churches, it's the one they follow, this type of doctrine places a crushing burden on people and tells them that all the problems they have are completely and totally their fault because they're thinking the wrong way. That message has no room for one of the most incredible things that God offers us, which is grace. If you only read this verse in the Bible, why would you ever want to follow God? Why would you want to have a relationship with a God that says, oh, I was going to heal you miraculously, but you were thinking about being sick, so I guess you have to stay sick. Read the Bible for yourself. Find out what it says, then find out what else it says. Read the verses about God's power, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy. What I find most upsetting about this whole story is that Bible verse. Here's the verse that was preached. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Here's the context of the passage. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. These verses in Proverbs are a warning to us about selfish people. They say, don't get taken in by people who aren't thinking about your needs. They are not a life philosophy that says we can use our mental powers to ward off disease and bring in cash. These verses were taken out of context, not used as a humorous sign to put on a wall, but used to manipulate and control a huge group of people. Read the Bible for yourself and find out what it actually says. In preparing for today and thinking through all the ways that I've read the Bible in the past, I kept coming across old familiar verses, verses that I would have called my favorite verse in the past, and I wondered if someone asked me today what my favorite verse would be. I do have one, and it brings together the many pieces of my life, and it sits at the front of my mind. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I know that verse by itself doesn't make you cry. But hang on. <laughs> uh, I told you I grew up in Waco, and although I now call Fort Worth my home, I have a love for Waco, and I want to see that city thrive. So I think I speak for most Wacoans when I say that we are so grateful, so thankful, and so happy for the presence of Chip and Joe. <laughs> Chip and Joanna Gaines had a home improvement show on HGTV called Fixer Upper. It was based in Waco, Texas, and it was a hit. Millions of people watched their show. They made farmhouse chic, and a popular interior design. They single-handedly turned around the market for shiplap. <laughs> this year, they made Time Magazine's list of 100 most influential people, an important list that contains some not-as-famous people, like the president and the pope. <clears throat> Chip and Joe created Magnolia Market in Waco, which has had an enormous impact on city tourism. Each year, the number of visitors has topped one million and keeps growing. And Chip and Joe are launching their own network next summer. <laughs> The Gaines' presence in Waco has been a tremendous benefit to the city, but there's something even more important than the economic and cultural uplift that has come from them. Now when I tell people that I grew up in Waco, they're far, far more likely to smile and say, oh, Waco. It used to be they would say, oh, Waco, and for good reason. 
Waco has had its share of negative things like any city, but Waco's bad stories make it to the headlines pretty quickly. The bad stories are really bad. The scandal at Baylor that is still going on, the motorcycle gang shootout, the Twin Peaks restaurant, those are bad things. But the granddaddy of them all, too many other churches, it's the one they follow. This type of doctrine places a crushing burden on people and tells them that all the problems they have are completely and totally their fault because they're thinking the wrong way. That message has no room for one of the most incredible things that God offers us, which is grace. If you only read this verse in the Bible, why would you ever want to follow God? Why would you want to have a relationship with a God that says, oh, I was going to heal you miraculously, but you were thinking about being sick, so I guess you have to stay sick. Read the Bible for yourself. Find out what it says, then find out what else it says. Read the verses about God's power, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy. What I find most upsetting about this whole story is that Bible verse. Here's the verse that was preached. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Here's the context of the passage. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. These verses in Proverbs are a warning to us about selfish people. They say, don't get taken in by people who aren't thinking about your needs. They are not a life philosophy that says we can use our mental powers to ward off disease and bring in cash. These verses were taken out of context, not used as a humorous sign to put on a wall, but used to manipulate and control a huge group of people. Read the Bible for yourself and find out what it actually says. In preparing for today and thinking through all the ways that I've read the Bible in the past, I kept coming across old familiar verses, verses that I would have called my favorite verse in the past. And I wondered if someone asked me today what my favorite verse would be. I do have one, and it brings together the many pieces of my life, and it sits at the front of my mind. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I know that verse by itself doesn't make you cry. But hang on. Uh, I told you I grew up in Waco, and although I now call Fort Worth my home, I have a love for Waco, and I want to see that city thrive. So I think I speak for most Wacoans when I say that we are so grateful, so thankful, and so happy for the presence of Chip and Joe. (laughs) Chip and Joanna Gaines had a home improvement show on HGTV called Fixer Upper. It was based in Waco, Texas, and it was a hit. Millions of people watched their show. They made farmhouse chic, and a popular interior design. They single-handedly turned around the market for shiplap. (laughs) This year, they made Time Magazine's list of 100 most influential people, an important list that contains some not-as-famous people, like the president and the pope. Chip and Joe created Magnolia Market in Waco, which has had an enormous impact on city tourism. Each year, the number of visitors has topped one million and keeps growing. And Chip and Joe are launching their own network next summer. The Gaines' presence in Waco has been a tremendous benefit to the city, but there's something even more important than the economic and cultural uplift that has come from them. Now, when I tell people that I grew up in Waco, they're far, far more likely to smile and say, oh, Waco, 
It used to be, they would say, oh, Waco. And for good reason. Waco has had its share of negative things like any city, but Waco's bad stories make it to the headlines pretty quickly. The bad stories are really bad. The scandal at Baylor that is still going on, the motorcycle gang shootout at the Twin Peaks restaurant, those are bad things. But the granddaddy of them all, the support of other teachers, parents, the Teachers Association and the Teachers Association's lawyers. I had all of them on my side, but things still went against me and there was nothing I could do about it. When I read the Bible during this time of my life, I found this passage from Genesis about Isaac and his family trying to find a home. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had many flocks and herds and servants He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a fresh a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gore quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water's ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. Genesis 26, 12 through 22. In this story, Isaac was right. He had wealth, he had power, he had God on his side. Importantly, he had a legitimate claim to those wells. Those were the wells of his father, and therefore those were his wells. His servants discovered new wells. Those became his wells. He had every right to draw a line and say, no, we aren't leaving. We're staying here because I'm right. But he chose to live in peace and not to quarrel and to move on. I'm so grateful that I could read the Bible and find this story. This story gave me a model of how to live during a very difficult time in my life. I found a great deal of comfort and guidance from the Bible throughout my life. Now, I'm not a biblical scholar. I have not received formal training. I cannot read Hebrew and Greek. But I've tried to be mindful when I read the Bible, and I want to make sure I understand what I'm reading, how it came from the past, and how it fits into my present and future. I want to be sure I know as much about the Bible as I can. I want to know how all the pieces of the Bible fit together. Bible verses can be taken out of context, and that causes problems. Sometimes out of context verses are not a big problem. They can be funny. They can make you smile. In college, I was visiting some of my friends in another dorm, and I saw that one of the girls had posted her favorite verse on her dorm room door. I knew this girl, and she made no secret of the fact that she was very interested in meeting a good Christian man and getting married and starting a family. The verse she was quoting was from Luke 9.23, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. However, she had only posted a portion of that verse. If any man will come after me, let him. (laughs) That verse out of context gets a whole new meaning. (laughs) And it's pretty funny. 
Uh, it isn't the funniest one that I've seen out of context. Uh, another verse that I see often is posted in the walls of church nurseries. Uh, it's from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and he's talking about Christ's return and when he will come. And whether it comes during our lifetimes or not, we will all be transformed by the amazing things that are happened. However, when it's up in a nursery over baby cribs, you get a different meaning. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> this is great news for babies with uh, wet diapers. Now, when you start reading the Bible, I mean really digging into the obscure verses that don't show up in your Sunday school lessons, you can find some very interesting things. You can also find some very boring things. The book of Numbers is a challenge to get through. But since we know that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, it means that when we, what we read in the Bible does have a purpose, even if it's something we don't immediately understand. So this takes some work on our part. Reading the Bible can be simple. There are plenty of straightforward verses and stories that are easy to grasp, but God's word is deeper than that and sometimes requires a lot more work. That's fine. We should be reading the Bible and working hard at it so we can understand it better. I met plenty of people in college and in the years since and at my job who have never read the Bible and don't know much about it. Usually they know something about it, but far too often they have heard verses or stories from the Bible that have been taken out of their context and presented as something that does not capture the whole message of God. And unfortunately, it isn't a humorous message on how to get a date or take care of a baby. They are often misinterpretations of God's message that feed people's hate or bigotry or sexism. They are verses that they use as justifications for atrocious actions. Of course, when you read the Bible and explore all the Bible has to say, you will quickly encounter parts of it that cause problems. There are some odd stories in there. There's some strange things that happened back then. And there's some verses that you read over and over because you can't believe they're actually in the Bible. But when you find those things, that really is a good moment. Reading the Bible is fundamental to who we are as Christians. It is the foundation of our belief. What we know about God and Jesus and heaven and hell and the disciples and the commandments and how we should live, all of that comes from the complex and complicated Bible. We need to be knowledgeable about what we believe. We need to know what the Bible says. We need to grapple with the difficult passages and we must talk together and figure out what it means. We must be ready to talk to people and listen to their challenges and find out what the Bible actually says. How many of you have had conversations with people about the Bible? I would hope everyone has because this is something that's really, really important to us. If you encounter someone who's hostile to the Bible, they will very likely be able to quote a verse to you. They will point out how they think that the Bible has old-fashioned approaches to food or alcohol or money or relationships. They'll bring out verses that show how badly the Bible treats women or other cultures or marriage. They will pick out a part of the Bible they don't like and hold it up as proof that they should reject the entire thing. Can you handle that? Can you take those verses that they lob at you and listen to them with peace and grace? Can you take their verses and say back to them, yes, the Bible does say that. But let me tell you what else the Bible says. Are you ready for deep conversations about the scripture? Have you read your Bible enough to be able to tell people when they are misinterpreting things or taking things out of context? One of my closest friends has suffered for decades under spiritual abuse. He grew up as part of a church that preached a fear-based doctrine. Over and over, for years, he was told that if he had any stray word or any stray thought that was a negative one, his words and thoughts would cause him to suffer or be sick or lead his life into ruin. His preacher had plenty of verses to back up this fear message, 
He had gone through the Bible and found verses or parts of verses that he used to convince his congregation that they were constantly on the edge of messing up and upsetting God and ruining their lives. My friend told me that one of the key verses he learned in church that supported this fear message was this verse from Proverbs. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Proverbs 23, 7. So the reasoning goes like this. If you think happy thoughts, you will be happy. But if you think sad thoughts, you will be sad. It's simple enough, and there's certainly some truth in there. But the abuse comes when this verse gets twisted. Are you sick and thinking about how you're in pain? Well, if you're thinking about being in pain, then you will be in pain. If you're thinking about your illness, then you will stay ill. Are you running low on money? Well, if you're thinking about being poor, you will be poor. And if you're thinking the bank might take your house, the bank will take your house. But if you start thinking about being rich, then you will be rich. I am not making this up. This is the line of reasoning that this church and far too many other churches, it's the one they follow. This type of doctrine places a crushing burden on people and tells them that all the problems they have are completely and totally their fault because they're thinking the wrong way. That message has no room for one of the most incredible things that God offers us, which is grace. If you only read this verse in the Bible, why would you ever want to follow God? Why would you want to have a relationship with a God that says, oh, I was going to heal you miraculously, but you were thinking about being sick, so I guess you have to stay sick. Read the Bible for yourself. Find out what it says, then find out what else it says. Read the verses about God's power, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy. What I find most upsetting about this whole story is that Bible verse. Here's the verse that was preached. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Here's the context of the passage. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. These verses in Proverbs are a warning to us about selfish people. They say, don't get taken in by people who aren't thinking about your needs. They are not a life philosophy that says we can use our mental powers to ward off disease and bring in cash. These verses were taken out of context, not used as a humorous sign to put on a wall, but used to manipulate and control a huge group of people. Read the Bible for yourself and find out what it actually says. In preparing for today and thinking through all the ways that I've read the Bible in the past, I kept coming across old familiar verses, verses that I would have called my favorite verse in the past, and I wondered if someone asked me today what my favorite verse would be. I do have one, and it brings together the many pieces of my life, and it sits at the front of my mind. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I know that verse by itself doesn't make you cry. But hang on. Uh, I told you I grew up in Waco, and although I now call Fort Worth my home, I have a love for Waco, and I want to see that city thrive. So I think I speak for most Wacoans when I say that we are so grateful, so thankful, and so happy for the presence of Chip and Joe. (laughs) Chip and Joanna Gaines had a home improvement show on HGTV called Fixer Upper. It was based in Waco, Texas, and it was a hit. Millions of people watched their show. They made farmhouse chic 
and a popular interior design. They single-handedly turned around the market for shiplap. <laughs> this year, they made Time Magazine's list of 100 most influential people, an important list that contains some not-as-famous people, like the president and the pope. <clears throat> Chip and Joe created Magnolia Market in Waco, which has had an enormous impact on city tourism. Each year, the number of visitors has topped one million and keeps growing. And Chip and Joe are launching their own network next summer. The Gaines' presence in Waco has been a tremendous benefit to the city. But there's something even more important than the economic and cultural uplift that has come from them. Now when I tell people that I grew up in Waco, they're far, far more likely to smile and say, Oh, Waco. It used to be they would say, Oh, Waco. And for good reason. Waco has had its share of negative things like any city, but Waco's bad stories make it to the headlines pretty quickly. The bad stories are really bad. The scandal at Baylor that is still going on, the motorcycle gang shootout at the Twin Peaks restaurant, those are bad things. But the granddaddy of them all, the story that still hangs over Waco, 26 years later, is that of David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. The story of David Koresh, the Davidians and their tragic ending is a long and complicated one. I will only give you a summary today. There are plenty of materials about the event that you can read on your own. David Koresh was the head of the Branch Davidians, a religious group that had a compound outside of Waco, which they called the Mount Carmel Center. He took control of this group from its previous leaders through threats, force, and violence. In 1989, he convinced his followers that he was the only one who was allowed to be married, and he separated all the couples from each other. The husbands had to remain celibate, while Koresh proclaimed that he was spiritually married to all of their wives. He went on to father at least 12 children from those men's wives. Former members of the Branch Davidians described their living conditions as being full of beatings, being told what they could eat and what they could wear. They had Bible study sessions, which lasted for hours and hours late into the night, and they were not allowed to leave these meetings, even to go to the bathroom. Former followers said that Koresh truly believed he was on a mission from God, and he was the only one who could interpret the Bible in its true meaning. Koresh and his followers began preparing for the apocalypse, and they started stockpiling weapons and ammunition. In February of 1993, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the ATF, raided the compound with search warrants and an arrest warrant for Koresh. When they arrived, a gunfire broke out. Six Davidians and four ATF agents were killed. This began a 51-day siege of the Mount Carmel Center. which ended when the FBI and the ATF pumped tear gas into the buildings. The Davidians then set fire to their compound, and they burned themselves alive. David Koresh died, along with 75 of his followers, in a death count that includes more than 20 children. I'm not gonna get into all the aspects of the siege. It is surrounded with controversy. People have taken their sides on this story. And they talk about them, and they argue about them, they publish books, and they make documentaries. Uh, this conversation has taken two and a half decades, and people are still talking about it, and still disagreeing about it. I'm not going to dive into that. This is just one of the most widely known examples of someone reading the Bible and using it to destroy people's lives. And it happens so close to my home.
So here's where all my stories converge. All these parts of my life, living in Waco, being a teacher, learning from my mom, teaching Sunday school and reading the Bible, they all converge here. I read the Bible my entire life and it has been a hope and a guidepost to me. My mother's faithfulness in teaching children about God has inspired me to be a teacher and to take that job very seriously. Only a few miles away from my home, a national tragedy unfolded and people died because the Bible was used as a tool to manipulate and not to heal. These parts of my story come together to tell me what I should do. It is my mission to provide good teaching, great teaching to the children in my care. It is my job to teach them about God and Jesus in the Bible. It is our job as a church to train up the children in the way they should go, and the way they should go needs to be biblically guided. Everything in the world grabs for our attention. People's attentions are torn a thousand ways. Children's attention spans are already minuscule. We only get a couple hours a week in church to talk about God and read the Bible. And these hours and minutes that we spend in this building are hugely overshadowed by the hours and minutes that we spend outside of this building and flooded by the rest of our lives. Why is reading the Bible so important? We teach children early on that they can know God themselves. They can talk to God directly. They can worship him from their own hearts and their own mouths. They can read the Bible with their own eyes and understand it with their own minds. This is not just for our children. It's for all of us. Every one of us can have a personal and direct relationship with God. This is the message I want you to take today. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Look what happens when people don't read the Bible for themselves. See what happens when they allow other people to read the Bible for them, and they do not search the scriptures themselves. When someone tells you what the Bible says, go check for yourself. When someone tells you, here's what you need to do, God says so, go check for yourself. When someone tells you, you can trust me, I read it in the Bible, go check for yourself. When people don't read the Bible for themselves, they're led astray. When people don't read the Bible for themselves, they can be manipulated. When people don't read the Bible for themselves, they fall victim to others who cherry pick the verses they want, take them out of context, and twist the word of God to suit their own selfish and evil purposes. And when people don't read the Bible for themselves, they burn. Be like the Bereans. Search the scriptures daily. And find out whether these things are so. So, so now what? What do we do with all this? How do we read the Bible for ourselves? There are so many ways to read the Bible. There's Bibles in the pews right in front of you. Uh, there are websites where you can read the Bible in many, many translations. There's a fantastic Bible app for your smartphone. They don't actually read the Bible out loud for you and to you. There is, there's a Bible that Miss April showed, the Bible in comic book form. You can go out to the cabinet and read it for yourself. And, and you know, if you have a Bible at home, open it and read it. Reading the Bible is the first part. But we can see in the Bible that the people who are more noble were the ones who searched the scriptures daily. So read the Bible a lot. Read your favorite stories in many different translations. Read the Bible to each other. Come to a connect group here at church. Everyone should be coming to the Theology Matters classes, which we'll pick up again in the fall. It is an amazing time to ask your hardest questions about the Bible, and it is safe to disagree and be confused and to search for the truth. But here's my warning. Do not, do not leave here and go read your Bible every day because I told you to. 
Uh, Mr. Kevin says I need to read the Bible. No, don't do it. Don't do it because Jeremiah told you to. Children, don't do it because your parents told you to. All of us, every one of us, you do it because God told you to. We have in our own hands the word of God. This most precious thing. This lamp unto our feet. This light unto our path. This is a gift from a God who loves us. It is his amazing message about his plan to bring us back to him, even after we've done such wrong. It is the story of his sacrifice of his own son, Jesus, so that we can be back in a right relationship with our creator. This book is an amazing gift. Open this gift and read the Bible for yourself. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word exists to guide our lives, to steady us in difficult time, and point the way to rightness. Help us to study it, to memorize it, to write it on our hearts. Help us to search the scriptures daily so that we may learn more about you. Amen.